0: You know, in the military, it was always this funny thing where if you were the new guy and you were the short guy, you always got the biggest, heaviest gun. And so maybe our version of that is like, take the quietest little person that we have and have them holler in the hallway. remember when I got out of the military, this has nothing to do with the message, but people skills, maybe. Second Commandment stuff, I guess it, it applies. Uh, I was MP, but I got pulled to be a sharpshooter on a SWAT team. And so I had really no interpersonal reaction with anyone. I didn't even write tickets. I didn't see anyone at the gate. We just trained all the time. And if we saw someone, there was no interpersonal communication. It was always like, get on your face. So like, (laughs) that's it. And then I went from that into Home Depot, customer service, right? (laughs) And I'd be in the store and I went through all their training and I'm, it's like, I've got a job to do in the store. So I'm just like. I gotta get this on the shelf and I gotta do this and just walking around everywhere and just look very serious, like going where I'm going real fast. And I remember the manager one time, he's like, Dave, you have to smile and say hi to people. And when he said that, it's just my insides were like, <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't know how to do that. I know how to yell at him to get on the ground, but like, how do you talk to people? So that was the hardest thing to learn how to do is just when you're walking by a stranger hi, and and actually mean it, (laughs) so anyway, Lord, I guess I've talked about worse things, got kind of stuck in talking loops before I I preach, but anyway, just a bit of an icebreaker, I guess, Um, no opening scripture today, Uh, I'm going to teach through some certain things, and I'll get to that in a second, but Lord, I love you. I bless you, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example that it gives us in how to function, how to pray, how to interact with culture, how to interact with one another. We just thank you for the instruction, we thank you for the commandments, we thank you for your lovely boundary lines that keep us just in the realms of freedom that you've called us to. We thank you for true freedom in your kingdom, and we just thank you for brotherly love, for family love and devotion to one another, just continually reign in our midst and tonight as the disciples came before you and asked you teach us how to pray just ask that you would continually unfold the revelation of that question even to us your servants now so father we come to you with the same question teach us to pray may our ears be attentive to what you're saying and what you're doing and uh, just thank you for unifying us and we love you so so much amen and amen Tonight, I'm actually teaching on apostolic prayers, so it's not really like a preaching. This is going to be more of a classroom type feel, I guess, with just kind of a family meeting feel thing. So, I mean, I, we're teaching through the scripture, so there there is that, but... I felt like it would be appropriate to teach about apostolic prayer. So when we had the musical training with the musicians and the singers and we did the assessments for those who are gonna be on the worship teams and we didn't really do any prayer leader training because a lot of that prayer leader training for people who pray in the house of prayer during the week um, in this spot on the mic, um, usually we can just pull people up and give feedback and everything. But I thought it would be good to just kind of a hit hit a how and a why of the apostolic prayers because we do have these apostolic prayer prayer sheets up on the front for us to pray from so that our prayers always start with scriptures. But what's unique about the apostolic prayers and the prayers of the Bible is these prayers are already in the language of a prayer. And so you don't have to transpose, if you will, if I can use that term, you don't have to transpose non-prayer language into prayer language, Um, you can get skilled at that later on. But what we want to do as a house is get really, really good at praying the apostolic prayers so that when we begin to have other scriptures that come in and help us pray, then we already have a skill set to be able to pray in biblical prayer language. And so I want to talk about apostolic prayers um, a little bit, but... uh, in in the language conversation, I really don't want to spend too much time on this. Part of the just practical beauty of the apostolic prayers in the Bible. Now, apostolic prayers are the prayers that the apostles prayed or prayers that Jesus prayed. And Jesus is our apostle and high priest. So is, his prayers are included with apostolic prayers. But uh, when you talk about the language piece, because they're already in prayer language, like, Father, I ask that you... Give unto them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's already a prayer in the Bible, right? And so when we, you come up here to pray and you have a worship team that's ready to sing your prayer with you and make a chorus so that we can all pray the same prayer, it, the language that comes from the Bible that you pray on the mic that the prayer leader or the chorus leader hears or I'm sorry, the worship leader or the chorus leader hears, it's really easy for them, especially when they're already thinking about progression and tempo and rhythm, it's really easy to just step like right into the flow of enlighten their eyes, God, and open their hearts and like actually use the language that's already a prayer instead of converting a scripture that is a good scripture, but it's not necessarily a prayer. It might be a promise, or it might just be a declaration, or it might be a story, and so it's like, how do you take those beautiful scriptures and convert them into prayers? But if you build a foundation of just praying biblical prayers, you'll find that the skill set that you need to trans um, um, transpose non-prayer scriptures into prayer will come online easier. So I feel like this is our starting spot, but then it's also the foundation that never leaves the building that's being built. So when I'm talking about apostolic prayers, um, I want you to understand this as a law in the house. Now, when most people hear law, there's a bit of a retraction, especially in the charismatic church. Um, I'm not going to talk theologically about the law today, but what I want to mention about the law specifically is that although, you know, there's a law put in place, there are times when it's appropriate to break it, and so when I say this is a law, it's not, we're not saying this is the only way to pray, Um, it's just a really good way and a foundation that we want to set so that we can all unify together under the same language, make it easy and enjoyable for everyone, Um. But also when I say law, like the speed limit's a law. But there's times in an emergency where a first responder has to break the speed limit or, you know, the guy with the lady in labor, the classic scenario of a civilian breaking the speed limit to get to the hospital, to make sure she can deliver in a comfortable place and not in the backseat of a car and ripping through traffic. So there's a time to set aside the law because you know, the circumstances dictate that. So we understand that there's times to use other scriptures. There's times to pray in certain ways. I mean, the Psalms are filled with impeccatory Psalms. Um, but for some of us, I feel like there's a snare sometimes in all of the uh, the negative prayers. And when I say negative, I don't mean bad. I mean like focused on prayers that are focused on negative things. And so we read that in the Psalms, like God judge the wicked and Prayers like that. And uh, sometimes there can be a snare in that when there's a wounding from past churches, church experiences, um, or just a distaste for past church experiences. And so when you hear a hard message or a message on judgment or you listen to guys like, you know, Leonard Ravenhill who just like cut you to pieces and you're like, yeah, the church needs to hear this. And then you fill yourself with that. And Leonard Ravenhill is one of my favorite preachers and he's probably influenced me more than any other preacher uh, throughout history. There's a handful, uh, like less than five. I think there's four of them that have really just impacted me personally. And he's one of them. But I, I see in a community of people that love Leonard Ravenhill, that there's just a snare and sticking to only like the punch you on the nose type stuff. And so we've gotta be careful, especially when we're praying with other people, that we don't bring kind of our our personal and emotional bents or or things. And so the apostolic prayers are just beautiful because they provide certain examples for us in the Bible. They don't just give us practical language so that we can sing and have fun in the prayer room, but uh, they actually have some really important points to bring up that creates a culture of prayer that brings really effective answers, that brings the change that we want in a more effective way if our prayers are answered. And I'm gonna get into all these, so I didn't wanna spend too much time specifically on the language, but just kinda give you a heads up of uh, where we're going. But again, this is a law, so we're asking... The community to, let's get really skilled and good at praying the apostolic prayers together. And then once that foundation's built, we can begin to build other kinds of prayer, use other passages. But I feel like there's a skill set that we need together as a community as we pray together. So I am taking a break from the Romans 12 thing. Um, I'll be back on the Romans 12 for part three in uh, two weeks. But uh, just really wanted to hit this as the prayer room's growing. And like I said, like 25 of you guys signed up for the sacred trust. And so thank you. And more than 25 of you um, have been coming. You just haven't signed up for the sacred trust yet. And so that was one of the reasons during the announcements I had said we wanted to uh, make it easier. So if you don't want to be on the team per se, but you want to be a part of the sacred trust, then just sign up to commit to be here once a week with us. And you can, you know, come to the prayer meeting that that works best for you. If you wanna be on a team, again, then you'll have to lock down um, something a little bit more consistent so that we can rely on you as the teams are built. But uh, anyway, I wanted to get into the apostolic prayers with you and show you a few examples. But uh, just as by way of continuing the intro, the prayers that Jesus prayed, and I said this already, but uh, as a reminder, the prayers that Jesus, Paul, and Peter prayed are recorded for our benefit and we refer to those as the apostolic prayers um, because they're the prayers that Jesus, our chief apostle, prayed, and that uh, scripture comes from Hebrews 3.1 where it calls Jesus an apostle. Um, And they're also the prayers that the Spirit gave to the apostles, and this includes like the worship and the doxologies that are in there too. So if you include the doxologies um, and the prayers of petition where they're asking for things in the New Testament, there's about 30 apostolic prayers And what's beautiful about these prayers is they're in the Bible. So I love prayer books. My first ordination was from a liturgical denomination. I'm actually ordained as an Anglican priest, and that's kind of a funny story how that worked out because I never went to their seminary. Um, But uh, through that process, I fell in love with the liturgy. I love using the common book of prayer. Um, I love books like the Charismatics use, like prayers that rout demons, and we have many books on praying the scriptures. And so I love the books that help us pray, but the apostolic prayers, these aren't like a liturgical book that some high church came up with. These are actual Holy Spirit-breathed prayers. And so when you look at the apostolic prayers from the scriptures, these are guaranteed prayers, these are guaranteed prayers. And the beauty of that, that they're guaranteed prayers in any nation, and any time throughout history. This is why it gets a little bit fuzzy when you start taking Old Testament scriptures that aren't necessarily a prayer or a story or you know a promise or something and begin to bring those into intercession, which isn't bad. So I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad and we'll never do that. But the challenge with that is you need prophetic understanding to understand how to apply that prayer or how to apply that scripture in our situation. Because if you've been through our teaching on the prophetic, if you've been through our teaching on why we love the law, um, you know prophetic vision is always tied to the law. And prophecy is always contingent based on the response. So most of us look at prophecy as like this psychic fatalistic future predicting of things. Um, And it's not that, even though the Bible predicts the future, but it predicts the future in a way that's based on law. That's why Isaiah 8.20 says to the law and to the testimony, if they don't speak according to this, there's no dawn inside of them. And Isaiah was talking about witches and sorcerers and idolaters and even false prophets in there. It's like if they're prophesying to you and it's not based on the law of God. There's no light in them. And so when we pull a prayer out from another scriptural passage, we have to understand we're pulling that scripture out from a specific prophetic season that that people was walking through and through the law understand why that scripture was applied in that prophetic season pull it out, apply it into our situation, understand our prophetic season based on the law of the Lord, and then apply that scripture rightly. Otherwise, we're praying amiss. The apostolic prayers are filled with such beautiful, specific language, but it's done in such a way that anyone at any point in time in any nation, in any city can pray these prayers and have their prayers answered. So the prayers, the apostolic prayers are guaranteed. They're like checks that are already signed in heaven and they're just waiting on the co-signer on earth to be cashed. So it's like, I agree with this prayer. God, do it in my city. And so again, they're as relevant today as they were in the early church. And so I know we have them on laminated sheets and I'll just get kind of practical prayer roomy with you. I know they're laminated and... The way that I use these is they just help me locate the prayer that I'm looking for first. And There's a couple on the front row and I know the singers have all these and we're working on getting some more and we'll probably keep them in the back so that you guys can just pull them out of the back. But uh, the way I use these is uh, there's a heading in bold that gives you an example of kind of, or a synopsis of what we're praying for. And so the very first one is from Ephesians 1, 17 and 19, and it says, pray for the revelation of Jesus's beauty that we might walk in our calling and destiny by God's power. So just kind of a heading to help you find kind of a topic of like, yeah, that sounds like a really good thing to pray for this group over here. So I'm going to pray Ephesians 1, 17 and 19 um, over that group. And so... I use the headings a lot when I'm praying, but when I find it on the lamination, I'm still just old-fashioned. I don't like Bibles on my phone, even though it helps me find things real quick. I don't read the Bible on my phone, and I don't like lamination. I like nice paper, that red under gold, you know, art gilding on there, goat skin, just, I want my Bible with me when I pray. (laughs) Amen. I want my Bible with me when I pray. And so I'll use this to help me locate the scripture. And then I'll cuddle up with this when I pray. Um, and it's fun because when you have your Bible, you can mark in it and circle keywords and underline things and like play connect the dots and make you know, connections and write in cross references and stuff. And you can't really do this with that sheet. I mean, you could, but Chris will come after you because he made those. So I want to uh, just hit a few more key points on why the apostolic prayers are beautiful. And it's not just that we're like, oh, we're stuck to these prayers, but like they're really good prayers and they provide such an underlying culture that's created when we focus on using the prayers that are actually already in the Bible laid out for us. Um, First is the apostolic prayers are God-centered. And what I mean by that is all the prayers in the New Testament are God-centered prayers, or in other words, each one is addressed to God. There's not one apostolic prayer that you see in all the Bible that is addressed to the devil. So that's what I mean by they're God-centered. They're all focused on God. They're all addressing God. And I think this is an important point to bring up because Satan did not become flesh and die on a cross for you as sin to the right hand of the Father. He deserves no such thing like as beautiful as your voice. It says um, in Song of Solomon that you know, the bridegroom loves your voice, that your voice is sweet, that your form is lovely. So he paid the price for you to talk to him. Like, why are we gonna, you know, stay in this horizontal realm or go up to the second heavens to shout at, you know, principalities and powers and, and the devil and stuff. It's like, they didn't shed blood for me to talk to them. I'm not gonna waste my time. Therefore, I'm going to ask the Father. And so it's important to note, like, that the apostolic prayers, every single one of them Are God centered. They address God. They don't address the devil personally. God centered prayer, um, including spiritual warfare, is the model set forth in the New Testament. And it's the model that the early church used in resisting um, and dislodging demonic forces. So no doubt they didn't deny, they weren't ignorant of the enemy's schemes, but they didn't talk to the enemy. Um, They understood the cultural strongholds. They understood spiritual warfare. But when they prayed, they addressed God. So come with me to Acts chapter four. And you can see one of the first prayers of the church. That's recorded for us. And you see kind of a similar pattern where they address God they pull out a prophetic scripture, apply it correctly in their prophetic season. Then they pray for the needs that they need in this present moment based on that scripture and begin to continue to address God. And so I just wanna go through this and you can see the outline of the prayer. I'm gonna start in verse 24. It says, when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God and with one accord said, O Master, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our Father, your servant David, said. And so the very first thing to notice, again, is this is a God-centered prayer because they're addressing God. They're not addressing the devil. They're not rebuking Herod and Pontius Pilate, even though they're mentioned in the prayer. They're not talking to them directly, but they're directly talking to God. And then verse 25, here comes the scripture in the prayer. Who, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said, Why do the Gentiles rage? So they're quoting Psalm chapter 2. Why do the Gentiles rage in the people's divine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. So they quote the scripture and from the basis of that scripture, they begin their own prayer for their present time in verse 27 and said, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So still see God centered prayer addressing God himself, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. And the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, O Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders happen through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So that's their prayer. And then we see in verse 31 the initial answer to their prayer. And when they had prayed earnestly, the place they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is after Acts chapter two. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with confidence. In verse verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were bearing witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. And so that's just one example of a God-centered prayer, but you'll see these, the same pattern because we're gonna look at some of these other apostolic prayers. Um, not all of them, but just a couple of them. So you kind of get the pattern and the, the value and the beauty of what they're bringing and the culture that they set when we understand the theme of the apostolic prayers. And so all the, all the prayers of Jesus that are recorded in the Bible were directed to the Father. Um, Jesus taught his disciples also to direct their prayers to the Father. The apostles' prayers also teach us to address the Father when we pray. And even in what's been termed the warfare episode, or or episode, epistle, um, because of the armor and all that stuff being listed in there, um, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he addressed all his prayers to the Father. And so before he... Paul is asking for stuff. He's setting his mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And he begins to open his mouth and say that we pray that the Father of glory. And so the meditation of his heart and his mind is on the Father. And so the pattern of these prayers is really to first fill your mind with the beauty of God, with the love and the awe of God, with thanksgiving, And then address the person of God. It's really important to know, like we're we're talking to our friend, and I think most of us get that. And uh, you know, I feel like you know, there's power in the tongue, and there's power in words and stuff. And you know, you can rebuke the enemy, and you can declare things. And I hear people do it, and I don't have like a big problem with it. Um, my heart is just like. I like Jesus's model because Jesus asked the Father. I think he set a great example. Psalm 2, the Father tells the Son, ask of me. And I grew up in more faith bent circles that kind of talked down or made fun of the people that would always ask God for stuff. They're like, you just need to declare it. And the problem is I'm growing up in that culture and I was taught, concerning prayer, I was taught to talk to stuff and the devil more than the beautiful God. And so now that I know him and he shed blood for me to talk to him personally as a person, I just wanna talk to him. So asking is such a beautiful thing because it pulls my heart into the reality of I'm talking to a person because you don't ask outer space for stuff. You ask person for stuff, right? So like, I don't wanna, just me personally, I don't wanna just declare into the atmosphere because it's like, I wanna enjoy my friend, And I don't get to enjoy my friend if I don't address him as if he's in the room or inside my belly with rivers of living water. And so uh, apostolic prayers are always God-centered. The next one is that they're always positive. The apostolic prayers are positive prayers. And now when I say positive, don't think like, oh no, Dave's gone Joel Osteen on me. Um, I don't mean anything bad by that. But you know when you say positive, it's like, oh great, fluffy stuff. And uh, I don't mean fluffy stuff. I mean we focus on the positive. So the same is asking God. You're coming to the beautiful God to ask him for his beauty and his glory. And so those are positive attributes of God, beauty and glory, right? It's so easy to come on the other side of your prayer And to see all the ugly and the darkness and the perversion and just like pray against that. And we hate that thing, God. And he'll hear those prayers, but that's just not the model of the apostolic prayers. The prayers, because we want to set our minds on things above where Christ is and they're God-centered prayers. And we're addressing the Father, like ask him for the beauty and glory. Really quick example that's just funny To think about, and Mike Bickle uses this one, is no one turns the lights on by scooping out buckets of darkness in a room so that the light will come. Uh, You don't rebuke the darkness. um, You just flip the light switch, and the very presence of the light makes the darkness flee. And so it's the same thing in prayer. It's like we spend so much time not turning on the light switch. Like, God, make the darkness go, make the darkness go. We don't like the darkness. We hate lawlessness and love righteousness and we just want the darkness to go and we never actually come in and flip on the light switch. So these apostolic prayers are the light switch in a sense. And so that's what I mean by positive. I don't mean just fluffy because there are weighty situations to pray for, for you know, different flavors of darkness to go. But why not ask for his beauty to come and fill that and just like push out all the icky grossies that we don't like so again by positive I don't mean fluffy Uh, so let me read this sentence again the apostolic prayers are positive prayers asking God for the impartation of positive things instead of the removal of negative things And uh, I realize that the Psalms kind of do this very thing that I'm talking about where it does ask for the removal of negative things. But if you finish out like the Psalm and don't just focus on a verse, you'll see there's a pretty good balance to the positive and the negative. Um, But looking at the Psalms, that would be one of the reasons that I say when this is law, there are times to set aside the law in a special emergency situation and so then there are psalms, and we can learn from those and pray those. But again, like until we have this foundation, I don't feel like we have the skill set to begin to use Old Testament scriptures and psalms, at least as a larger community, um, until, until this is built. And then, of course, there'll be seasons to kind of go with, without that, but for the most case, it's like, hey, this is the speed limit we're driving in, and then in the future, there will be times to to break that, but also understanding kind of the principle that I brought up as well is the Psalms are law-based prophetic songs, and so they were a very, very prophetic people. They understood the word of the Lord, and they understood the prophetic season that they were in, and they could through a prophetic spirit, apply the justice and the mercy and the faith of the law in every single situation when David was writing or Asaph or the sons of Korah or the different ones that wrote the Psalms. So again, uh, the apostolic prayers though, you shift to the New Testament and you don't really see that. I mean, you see Paul discipline the church. You see Paul rebuke false teachers, but you don't see him specifically address those things in prayer. And so tonight, we're talking about just the prayers. And so when you look at just those 30 apostolic prayers that Jesus and the apostles prayed, they're asking God for the impartation of positive things and not the removal of negative things. So for example, Paul prayed for love to abound instead of asking for the removing of hatred. This is in Philippians 1.9. Uh, he also prayed for the impartation of unity instead of praying against division, Romans 15.5. He asked for peace to increase instead of fear to be removed. That's Romans 15, 13. He did not pray against sin, but he asked God for the increase of holiness and purity and love. It's 1 Thessalonians three twelve and 13. And even Paul's request to be delivered from evil men are positive and focusing on the deliverance of God's people rather than on exposing or bringing down evil men, persecuting them. And that's the second Thessalonians 3.2, you know, the famous, let your word run swiftly and be glorified. It's actually a prayer to be rescued from perverse and evil men. Um, And so this point, I mean, it can sound fluffy and you're like, oh, well, we just, like, I think I'm getting too fluffy and light on you, but there's really a, an important principle. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, um, and when you pray the apostolic prayers and you pray in this positive way and you ask for the glory and the light instead of praying against the darkness and the wickedness, if you pray against the darkness and the wickedness and God answers your prayer and removes the darkness and the wickedness, all that answered prayer does is leave a vacuum for something else to fill it. And in Matthew 12, you have this principle of the darkness going, um, speaking of a demon. And this demon goes, and it says in verse 44, the demon says, I will return to the house from which I came And when it comes back to that house, it finds it unoccupied. So there's that vacuum that was left by not filling it with the positive things. The glory, the light, the love, all that stuff. And so it's the same principle. So if on the other side you pray, God, send your light and glory and your love, it will also get rid of the negative things, but it will fill that vacuum so that there's no vacuum left. So it's a more responsible way to pray. So as much as we like, you know, the Leonard Ravenhills and the Corey Russells, and like, I love that preaching, but there's times to preach about that stuff. And like, I don't think we shy away from that in this house, but there's a better way to pray because praying is not preaching. And when you pray to with this principle in mind, I feel like there's just a better, mature, more responsible way to pray than just focusing on the negative. But to set your mind, and so again, remember, we started with these are God centered prayers, and because they're God centered, we see the beauty of perfection coming from Him, and we ask for those perfect virtues to be fit to come and fill empty places and establish His kingdom here. Uh, one reason God established positive prayers as the norm in the New Testament, um, I believe, is also to enhance unity and love in the church and so sometimes um, especially in the bigger prayer meetings and we see this during ten days and different things, and you know you pastor things as well as you can, but then also have grace for others that you know behave differently than you or see things differently than you, and that's okay but uh In in all the prayer meetings I've ever been in, you see some pray negative prayers that focus on the sin in the church and specifically church leadership many times. And often such prayers, they feel kind of judgmental and angry. Um, Even if they're true, And so these apostolic prayers are such a better model, even if you're in the midst of a group that you're like, man, I just do not like being here. These guys need Jesus. I can't believe they do this. Pray an apostolic prayer and pray those positive things. God will answer your prayer. It will be better than praying from the negative. It will fill the vacuum. um, And then you'll have friends after the prayer meeting, (laughs) Uh, Because when you pray that way, others in the prayer meeting, they might not agree with the view or the tone that was expressed in the negative prayer. And so the prayer only results in creating unnecessary division among some of the people that are at the prayer meeting. Just a little practical tip. But uh, praying for the impartation of the positive virtues instead of focusing on removing the negative characteristics, this unifies the intercessors um, and it can begin to even create the context for healing and the answer to your prayer to bring healing right away in those settings. And um, some of uh, healing some of the negative emotions against the church. And, uh, and they can even begin to heal some of the negative emotions that you have in you when you're praying for churches that you know are not serving the Lord. Um, positive apostolic prayers facilitate unity and they really do impact our emotions and build faith. And so maybe you're praying for the glory and the light to love and the love to come to this group that you really don't agree with, but then you're praying these things. And how many of you always heard like God, you know, you ask God for prayer and then you become the answer to your own prayer. It's almost like you pray in this way, he'll start filling you with a love so that you have a tenderness of heart towards the people that you're praying for. And uh, I'm not going to say names, but a while back there was a a church that some of the staff in the church would just vent to us. And it's like, in some ways it's like, yeah, man, take a load off. But then it just became gossip and I started knowing way too much about this pastor of this other church that like, I I don't really wanna know that and that might not even be true. That's just kind of like, how you feel and you seem kind of grumpy and hurt no doubt and I don't want to you know invalidate your feelings but just really made me think a certain way towards this certain pastor and this certain church in the area and so in the prayer room I would begin to pray apostolic prayers for that pastor and for that church and it really over time shifted my heart to cause me to fall in love with this pastor um, and fall in love with that church and really contend for them, and even though you know I see certain things going on or i 've heard about certain things going on i don 't believe everything that i 've heard, but you know it 's just praying these prayers has put such a love in my heart because when you always focus on praying from removing the negative aspects and just it just makes you grumpy and not a happy happy intercessor, and I want to be a happy intercessor because ultimately my goal and prize my inheritance my portion is him and at the end of the day like prayer is all about I got to be with Jesus and it's just bonus that I get to ask him for stuff and so when you pray from the positive you don't have any negative feelings for others that are getting in the way between your relationship between you and God and he can shift your heart and it's just a beautiful thing beautiful thing all around The positive focus that comes from using the apostolic prayers can also help us to operate in faith. Uh, The apostolic prayers provide us with really good theology. Um, And this is what I mean by that. Uh, We're kind of in the Bible belt where most people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture um, where everything is supposed to get worse and it's all gonna go to heck and then Jesus is going to come back and then it's really going to go to heck. Um we don't believe that here and I'm still a historic premillennialist, but our major emphasis of this house is a victorious church. And one of the reasons we know the church is victorious in the end times is all these apostolic prayers are astonishing And they're gonna be answered in fullness before Jesus comes. And when the Lord answers these apostolic prayers in fullness over the church in the whole earth, you're gonna see a church that shines bright, a bride who's clothed without spot or wrinkle. She's gonna be mighty. She's gonna shine like the brightness of the stars and she's gonna do mighty exploits like it talks about at the end of Daniel. And so these apostolic prayers even give us a, beautiful basis of theology for a church that can kick butt and take names and extend the kingdom. Even in the midst of being surrounded by our enemies, the Lord has set a beautiful table for us and his kingdom will always increase. And so there's just a beautiful, beautiful theological point of like, yeah, one of the reasons we know the church is victorious in the end times is these prayers are going to be answered. Now here's an interesting one. And I know we pray for other groups and we have you know prayer stations over here if you didn't know what those were. Our goal is to begin to change these out um, monthly and probably have a, a small rotation so we're able to focus on specific things. And so I know we've got like certain prayer targets that are kind of outside the realm of what I'm speaking. So this is, again, this is a law and there's times to, you know, Break the law because of necessity for another situation, and, that, and that's fine. But still, this is the major culture, and a value I feel like should be put into us. Because again, like we want these prayers to be effective and really hit their mark. And uh, this is this is a major point: the prayers, the apostolic prayers, every single example that we have—they're all for the church. They're always praying for the church in this city or the church over there, for the people of God over there. It's always focused on the church and it's not, you know, God save the alphabet soup people. It's God, give your spirit and wisdom and revelation to the church of San Antonio. Now, it's not that the alphabet soup people don't get saved uh, but let me develop this. The vast majority of the apostolic prayers are focused on the strengthening of the church, not on the lost or even the transformation of society. Do we pray those things? We actually do. We we pray those things. But when you look at the apostolic prayers, you don't see that. Um. This doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the lost or the society that we're in or that we don't pray for these things, but only that the prayer in the New Testament that is focused um, on bringing God's kingdom is always focused on the church. There is one apostolic prayer where Paul prays for the lost and it's Romans 10 verse one and he's praying for Israel according to the flesh that they might be saved. And that is the only apostolic prayer for the lost. Everything else is for the church to grow her up into maturity. So why are the vast majority of the apostolic prayers for the strengthening of the church? It's because God's primary plan to reach the lost or to impact a city is by anointing his church with power and love. So in other words, it's like, I'm married to you, church. I'm not doing this without you. So when we pray for the whole church in a city to be revived in love and power, the answer to those prayers will have an immense impact on the lost. Many believers will inevitably come to Jesus and society will be changed as the church and the city walks in the power of spirit, in the power of the spirit. And this is the history of revival, no? Revival's not that the lost are revived. Like revived because they were never revived in the first place. Revival is for the dead, boring church that just got stuck in a rut, forgot the love of God. It, it's really just a coming back to the beauty and the awe of the first commandment, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we can't quit the prayer meeting, we can't quit the praise meeting, we can't get enough of the teaching and the hearing of the word, that we're always in... Uh, Uh, seeking the Lord and ministering to him. And when the church catches on fire, that becomes the most evangelistic thing that could ever happen in the city is that the church falls in love with Jesus to the point that the world begins to take notice and then the world's affected. And so the reason you see so many salvations happening in revival history is because the church was rocked with power. They were rocked with love and God showed up and revived a dead people and then brought the unsaved into a context that the lost could be trusted with. So this is why the apostolic prayers are mainly for the church, or only for the church, besides that one when Paul prayed for Israel to be saved. And we see this principle at work in the city of Ephesus. This is so cool that like, we can like, look at these principles of prayer, but then we have the historical books like Acts, and can understand like, what actually was happening in these cities as well. And so we see this principle at work in the city of Ephesus. The preaching of the word of God was so powerfully anointed that its influence, it literally says in Acts 19, 20, says it grew mightily and prevailed, that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed across Ephesus, that God's strategy was to raise up a large anointed church with congregations across the whole city that would win a great harvest in all of Asia. And what happened in Ephesus was so powerful that everyone who lived in Asia, it said, by the end of the chapter, heard the word of the Lord because of what happened in the church of Ephesus. Everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord Um, from Paul and others in the church. And so again, Acts 19 and verse 10, it said all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. In verse 20 of Acts chapter 19, it says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, and I want to look at two of the prayers that were prayed over this church. So you have two of these apostolic prayers, and this, this was the kind of praying that was praying over that church that lit that church to the point where the word of God prevailed. It grew mightily, and everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, when we think about church and Jesus and the Israelites and Jerusalem, we think of that little spot, you know by the Mediterranean. But beloved, the early church is exploding because of the prayer life of the church. The gospel of the kingdom is going forth and it literally says all of Asia. That's a massive land land plot, land mass. And so let's look at the prayers that were prayed over Ephesus that actually got that kind of result. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 over the Ephesian Church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, a God-centered prayer, praying from the positive, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of Him. So when you're praying these prayers, like key in on these massive words, and by massive, I don't mean wisdom, revelation or knowledge, because we can pray for general you know, bits of these things. Like, God, give them a little bit of revelation. But here Paul's praying, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of God. That's the big word, full knowledge. Like, not incomplete, but a full knowledge, a full wisdom, a full revelation and the knowledge of God, so that the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. i going to look at verse 14 through 21. This is another prayer Paul prayed over that church says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, God-centered prayer, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that he would give to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the spirit and the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being firmly rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then he ends with the God-centered because he just gets lost in worship. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think or understand according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations and ever and ever, amen. That was the kind of revival praying that was poured into the church of Ephesus that caused the word of the Lord to grow mightily, that caused the word of the Lord to prevail so that everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. So I love, I love, love Leonard Ravenhill. He's come up a lot. And I have the book, Why Revival, Terries. I have his book, Revival Praying. I have a lot of his books. Apostolic prayers are the ultimate of revival praying. And the fruit of it is seen in the history of the spirit being poured out in power in the church of Ephesus. When preachers are anointed and the church is revived, the saints will speak the word and do the works of the kingdom with great consistency and a multitude of believers will come to Jesus. And that's exactly what follows that prayer that we already read in Acts chapter four. So we would do well to labor in prayer for an increase of the measure of the Spirit's anointing to the church, knowing that the harvest will result. So pray for the church because of your heart for the harvest. Now power or or no power can prevent the lost from coming to Jesus in great numbers when the church is revived and operating together in the anointing of the Spirit. And so we're to pray for the whole church in our area, not just our ministry, not just our congregation. And I pray for you guys too. Um, But we ask the Lord to visit the hundreds of congregations and the thousands of congregations around in this area in whatever sphere he's given us for intercession. And we pray that he would visit those congregations with his power in our region the Lord loves the whole church. Every denomination, every congregation that proclaims Jesus, he wants his people to love the whole church and not write off any ministry but pray for them. And I would specifically challenge you because this has like really shifted my heart in so many ways. The ministries that have wounded you or the ministries you've heard gossip about and you believe and it's shifted your heart towards them and you've never even met them, begin to pray the apostolic prayers over them. I'm not saying you're gonna go be BFFs with them forever, but it will shift your heart and your heart will become tender towards them and the Lord will answer your prayer and uh, grow them up to a place of maturity so that the lost can be saved. I mean, that would be great. Because we will love those whom we pray for consistently and if we use the apostolic prayers as a model, it really is a guard against our heart of uh, just becoming bitter from always focusing on the darkness. So we love those we pray for consistently and God knows that we will love the church more as we pray for it regularly. And his divine strategy is for the hearts of the intercessors to connect and grow in love towards the church in the city for which they constantly pray. And so this is a brilliant strategy from God. He directs us to pray for the harvest by asking him to visit the church, the local churches in our area to visit uh, in great power. So it's no coincidence that most of the New Testament prayers are for the church. Again, all of them are for the church except for that one in Romans chapter 10 when Paul is praying for Israel. And now when we're praying for the church, we have two major focuses and really everything can fall under, under these themes. But the two major focuses are this, that God would release a greater measure of the Holy Spirit and that he would release a greater measure of justice. And Jesus uh, pointed at these things as well in Luke eleven thirteen, um, when he said, "How much more will, you, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" So we want to ask Him for the Holy Spirit because obviously He's willing to give us the Holy Spirit. And so begin to pray for a greater measure of the Holy Spirit for the church. Um, and then Luke eighteen seven. Will not God bring about justice for his own elect who cry out to him day and night? And so we also pray for a greater measure of justice. So the measure of the Spirit first. As believers, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at our new birth. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, And so we're not praying God baptize us again in, in that manner. But rather we ask him to release a greater measure of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through us. So like Paul's words in the Ephesians, like the full knowledge, the fullness, everything pertaining to, like those big, sweeping, all-inclusive statements. We're praying for that. And so it's the same principle. You see that the 120 are filled in Acts chapter 2, but then you know some of those were in the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, but it says they were filled again. And this time the fruit or the evidence of the fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit or the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit was they began to preach the word with boldness. So the Lord answered their prayers. So scripture refers to a greater measure of the Spirit on the church. And you can see this in the word grace. And so it refers to a greater measure of the Holy Spirit as a greater measure of grace Um, In Scripture, this increase is referred to as a greater grace in James chapter 4, 6, a great grace in Acts 4, 33, grace, abundant, full of grace, growing in grace, grace multiplied. And so those are the same things because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Um, He's personified in uh, Titus chapter 2 when it defines grace as a teacher and the power to overcome sin. And so when we pray for greater measures of grace, we're also praying for the greater measure of the Holy Spirit. Um, but the uh, second one, the release of justice. We pray for the release of a greater justice. And justice can be defined, as, or be defined as God making the wrong things right. And there are, justice is multifaceted, but to simplify it, there's a salvation side and there's a judgment side. And so we see the salvation side of justice when God's people are healed and they're delivered from an oppressor um, and then you see the judgment side where it's like the oppressor is not repenting, but the Lord has to remove the oppressor. So we see the judgment side of justice um, when the wicked who rebel, or I should say continue to rebel against God's righteous ways, when they're stopped, removed, and punished. Now, this doesn't mean your neighbor who decorates for Halloween 12 months out of the year, but we're talking like the wicked men. And I'm sure there's women, but history has been more men like Adolf Hitler. Like there's times for God's justice to step in and remove one. Like he had such great patience for many oppressors, giving them time to repent. But there comes a time where justice must step in to save the innocent. And so we want to pray for those things as well. Now, within those two two focuses, praying for a greater measure of the Spirit, praying for justice, there's really three prayer themes, and I'll end with the three prayer themes of the apostolic prayers. There are three general themes that they pray for continually, and that's the release of the gifts of the Spirit, the release of the fruit of the Spirit, and the release of the wisdom of the Spirit. Uh, The vast majority of the prayers and promises in the Bible fit into one of these three general themes of asking for these things. Don't let your ears hear like cheap children's church stuff. Because I fully believe there's nothing more supernatural than living in this world and bearing the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. think that is the ultimate spiritual life. I love all the other spiritual gifts, but man, the gifts flow from just that place of joy and contentment, of bearing fruits, 12 kinds of fruits in in all seasons, like it talks about at the end of Revelation. But gifts of the Spirit, praying for a greater release of the gifts of the Spirit involves praying for the release of God's power, including his supernatural favor, his provision, and his protection And so we ask for a greater measure of God's power to be manifest in our lives and in the people that we pray for. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, this is just kind of piecemealed from seven to 10, but you can look at it on your own. It says that the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one, and for each one is given a word of wisdom, to another one gifts of healing, and to another working, working of miracles. And there's other spots that talk about gifts like words of knowledge and prophecy, words of wisdom, Uh, the ministry of helps and administration even. And so the spiritual gifts are something that we're to pray for when we're praying for other churches, for the gifts to begin to flourish in those churches. Uh, The next thing is the fruit of the Spirit. Praying for a greater release of the fruit of the Spirit refers to asking God for God's character, for divine character to be formed in the lives of others. We ask that the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit would be made manifest. And you find the list in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Um, but we would pray that like love and joy and peace and patience would be established in those we pray for. So for those like me, who actually care about practical holiness, um, there's no better way to pray. Instead of like, God, make them stop sitting. It's like, man, give them the fruit of the spirit? Would you give them the fullness of the fruit? Would you just pour out joy in their midst? Because what you're pulling on is the character and the virtue of God himself. It's the fruit of who? The spirit. And so it's the character of the spirit. And so in a sense, like the way we teach about the law in this house is the law is a reflection of the heart of the lawgiver, And so the law shows us the character and the beauty of the holy one who gave us the law. It's the same way with the fruit of the spirit. And so because he acts on his law, he functions like this and it's beautiful. It manifests as joy and peace and patience and kindness. So it's almost like this other side of viewing the law of God is understanding his character. So if you care about holiness, again, if you care about holiness like I do, instead of just praying God make them holy, but like be specific in your prayers. Like God, fill them full of joy. Give them self-control, peace and righteousness. Pray for the fruit of the Spirit because praying for the fruit of the Spirit is praying for holiness. It's holiness prayer. And so, again, one of the ways we can pray for a person to have more fruit in his character and to be more godly is to ask the Lord to release a spirit of conviction, a spirit of wisdom and revelation of God to him, um, to, that he would be convicted of sin, understanding the truth of who. God is. Um, and so when he understands the truth of who God is, it really just results in an increased fear of the Lord, um, also an increased fascination of the Lord, an increased fascination with Jesus. And then when there's that fascination and that drawing near, there's the formation of godly character in the person. So really, like our prayers are aimed at uniting, because that's the role of the intercessor, right? Is to take two opposing parties and pull them together. And make them one. And so you're talking to, you know, preaching and ministering to one another is talking to men on behalf of God. So even preaching is, functions as a priestly intercessor role. But then, you know, in the prayer meeting, then you're talking to God on behalf of people and asking him for specific things to begin to bring those two together. Uh, The third theme is the wisdom of the Spirit. When we pray for a greater release of the wisdom of the Spirit, we are asking for an increase of understanding and insight um, into God's plans, his will, um, and even his word for others. Paul prayed for much spiritual wisdom and understanding for others. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 is another example Of this, you can just jot that down. I'm not going to turn to it, but we saw that in the Ephesians 1 prayer that we reviewed. Praying for wisdom includes asking the Spirit for dreams, for visions, to give insight into His will for our lives, as well as insight into His plan for our city, nation, business, and church, because He is still speaking. And so, because we know and understand and love the scripture, we can take those prophetic words and apply them correctly in our prophetic season through prophetic vision. And uh, honestly, I still can't think of any any better example um, than that than David Wilkerson, where he would say, I'm not a prophet, but of all the prophetic people I know, he's the most prophetic person I feel like I've ever listened to in my life. And... Again, he would say, I'm not a prophet, I just read the Bible and it's talking about us. And I remember what got my attention really was, I grew up in circles that really didn't use the Old Testament. So when I first started listening to David Wilkerson and he's preaching through the Old Testament and he's just prophetically going through the oracles of God and the history of Israel, bringing it back into the urgency of the day that he lived in and applying it to the church and the lost for us now. Like, this dude is blowing my mind with the Bible. And he was the most unifying prophet because he based all of his prophetic oracles or his, just the prophetic spirit that he operated in, it was all based on scripture and a correct application of scripture in the correct prophetic season that he was in. But because he used scripture so much, even the Baptist dispensationalists will call him a prophet. So really what we're doing with these apostolic prayers is just taking the prophetic nature of Scripture and applying it in this season. And the beauty of the apostolic prayers specifically is they pierce through time and space and are these blank checks that we can just begin to ask God for and let those words shape the prayer culture of our church so that we become more effective. And so I wanna sum up those three prayer themes, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the wisdom of the Spirit that uh, we're praying for specifically when we target the church through apostolic prayers. We ask for the fruit of the Spirit or godly character to be established. And people, as the Spirit convicts them of sin and righteousness, reveals the knowledge of God and releases more of the beauty, love, and fear of the Lord to them. I ask for the wisdom of God to be given to them so that they would walk in God's will and plan for their lives. And I ask for the gifts of the spirit, the supernatural power, the favor and protection of God to be released to and through their lives in ministry. So again, this is a rule or this is a law and we realize there are exceptions to that, but let's get skilled at these and let this be the foundation of our culture as we pray together. And as a rule, our God-centered prayers or our prayers are to be God-centered. Like let's first, like to him who sits on the throne, like set your mind on things above where Christ is. And remember, you're addressing him. You're not addressing stuff. You're not addressing the devil. You're not addressing outer space. You're addressing the beautiful person of God. You're addressing the father. You're addressing the bridegroom. That they're God centered prayers rather than demon centered prayers or focused prayers or sin focused prayers. Uh, this is the New Testament model of prayer. And the major thrust of our prayers should be for a greater release of the ministry of the Spirit on the whole church in our city and for the impartation of positive kingdom values, positive kingdom virtues, and love, holiness, unity, hope and peace, amen, and amen, thank you guys for enduring kind of like a, more of a classroom style, but uh, does anyone have any questions before we move into worship, Needo. all right Daniel, let's worship the Lord, and who's got communion tonight, ooh, sweet, like you're leading communion? Amen, that's your, it just made me excited. Hallelujah. So uh, let's do that first bit of the God-centered prayer. Let's just set our minds on things above where Christ is. Just allow some space if the Holy Spirit wants to minister in a specific way and then uh, on a, uh, I guess a Daniel or, or Marshall, someone, will, they'll give you the communion eyes. They go like this. <laughs> Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just the beauty of your character shining through. It says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession and we just thank you for the small glimpses that we get to see Jesus pray, that we get to see the spirit of Jesus pray through the apostles. We thank you for these inspired prayers that we get to understand. How does the great apostle and high priest intercede and pray for me? And we just ask again with the disciples that you would continue to teach us how to pray, that you would unite our hearts and just, man, I just pray for the church in our city. Even now, ask that you would fill them up with the fullness of God. That the church of Jesus Christ in San Antonio would be filled with the fullness of the spirit of God, with the fullness of the fruit of the spirit, that divine nature and divine character, which is rest in our city through the church in Jesus name. We love you so much and we bless you. We love you. We bless you. We love you. We bless you. Amen.